the things I'm working on for this year is doing the bigger deals. You know, the bigger deals I do that will help us scale to the numbers that we want to get to, but also sending out more mail. That's kind of an easy lever that you can pull there. You're like uh, more letters, more potential deals. It's just a matter of sending the mail, you know, identifying those markets that are good markets that you can, you know, have some real potential. Also kind of building the team as we go, you know, like getting partners in different areas that we can really rely on the local real estate agents and land brokers and things. Those are, those are really kind of essential to us scaling. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Well, guess what? Our guest today, he's the 31st great-grandson of King Henry II. I don't think I've ever said that on the show before. I I thought that was just a neat fact that he knew that. His name is Pete Reese. He's the president of RealVest Properties, a, a land development and investment company. With nearly two decades of real estate experience as a broker and investor, Pete has successfully purchased and sold hundreds of pieces of real estate for profit over the years for himself and uh, obviously on behalf of his clients as well. Where he's on track to earn $4 million in revenue in 2022 with his land flipping and development business. He's always looking for his next deal, including his longtime dream uh, of, his, of his own private island. Uh, I thought that was neat as well. But Pete, he has become an expert in land flipping. And I think it's just a neat process of how guys have done that. We've interviewed a number of them on the show over the years, and they've got this dialed in. It's, uh, I mean, it's just a very interesting process of how they find this data, how they act on it, how they receive you know, all this information, and how they move forward and make some amazing profits in this kind of business. And he and I talked about how, you know, how can you scale that? And what does that look like? You know, is it more letters? Is it, is it investors? What does that, how, how do you do that? Now, I enjoyed this conversation. I think there's a number of things that, that I learned and that I could, you know, take back to our business as well. Uh, you know, even though we're not flipping land. Uh, and so I know that you're going to learn a lot from Pete today. Pete, welcome to the show. Looking forward to learning about your business model that seems to have been so successful in this land flipping business. Man, welcome to the show, Pete. Well, thanks for having me, Whitney. I really appreciate it. Well, Pete, tell us a little bit about how did you get into real estate? How did you, you know, get into this specific niche of land flipping? It seems like I've heard more about that over the last year or two, maybe, but not really before that. <laughs> but you know, what what is that and how did you get into that type of business? Yeah, well, the crazy thing is I've only been doing land flipping for about two years at this point. We actually resold our first property in this model in March of 2021 and did about uh, that first year, partial year, we did about $1.2 million in revenue and about 50% gross profit. 2022, we did about $3.5 million in revenue and a uh, little, uh, just slightly under 50% gross profits. And next year, we're hoping to do $10 million. So not just hoping, I think we can do $10 million. But I've been in real estate since, I guess, the year 2000 when we bought our first home and then just kind of started leveling up. We did some improvements to that place and then we started getting into flipping homes. So we did that for, for quite some time. I got my broker's license here in California in 2006 and market crashed. And then I became an REO. My focus was being an REO listing broker for a number of years. And that was very busy time, you know, to be listing and selling bank owned properties. That was pretty much the only stuff that was selling. So I got into that for a while and then transitioned into kind of just finding deals for other large investment companies. 
So I did that for a number of years and that was my sole focus. And I kind of shifted away from investing in properties myself and just kind of finding deals for uh, these larger companies. After that, kind of transitioned into another business, online education business with my wife. That was uh, pretty successful. And we did that for a number of years, but I got the itch to get back into real estate investing. Didn't really know which model to go with. Didn't really want to get back into home flipping. I knew how to do that and I was comfortable with that. I just didn't want to deal with contractors and everything else that goes with that business. It's a fun business in a way, but it's also a little bit of a stressful business. So kind of read it, doing a bunch of reading online and stumbled into some stuff um, where people were talking about land flipping. And I had never heard of the model before, really. And um, people talking about, hey, I bought this property for 10000 I sold for 30000 And that kind of intrigued me, you know, here, this type of returns on kind of a smaller investment. And uh, just went kind of all in learned everything I could about it, adapted what I learned a little bit to and put my, little, my unique spin on it and just kind of kind of went for it. Wow. So I ended up here. But <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you've done pretty well at it, though. Uh, you know, I mean, you you definitely dove right in. You know, give us a, a, a little more about just what that is. Uh, and for the listeners who have never heard of a land, you know, term land flipping before, what is that? Maybe give us a, a deal example uh, as well. Sure. Yeah. So uh, the, the model basically is this. And there are other ways to do things than, than the way I do it. So I just want to preface it by saying that this is the way I do things. So I basically generate all my leads, all my deals with direct mail. I send out a lot of direct mail. Like at this point, I'm sending out 50,000 letters a month. So a good quantity. But essentially, you build a list and you're using, you know, um, I use a company called Datatree. It's a first American company, but it allows me to build the list. And I pretty much search a certain area, say, for instance, I'll take a county. And then in that county, I'll look at all vacant land that's 10 acres and above. And then I filter out the obvious non-sellers. These would be people like, this would be companies like railroads or a, a city owned property or municipality, something like that, where I know that they're not going to be interested in the offer that I send them. And then I come up with average price ranges for that county. So for instance, a acre of land in that area may go for, you know, at a 10 acre parcel, it may be 10,000 an acre. So I'll back off a percentage from there and then we'll come up with an average offer price. You know, like generally I would do, if it's a pretty hot area, I may do 40%, you know, to retail value. So, and then we'll just uh, do a mail merge and that generates an offer value on each one of these letters that we're sending out. So we actually, page one is kind of a letter describing who we are, what we can do for them. And page two is an actual one page offer that we send out. So we send out thousands and thousands of these letters each month. Phone obviously starts ringing. We get letters back. You know, sometimes people just sign the offers and send it back. Sometimes they email them back. Sometimes they call and they complain that the offer was too low. But essentially, it gets the activity coming in. And we've got a process now to kind of deal with all the, all that activity. We evaluate the offers. We evaluate things when they come in and look at the properties really deeply at that point. And then um, we come to an agreement with these property owners. You know, we our offer to them is we buy cash and we close quickly. So that's make it as simple as possible. Very little disclosures, very little, you know, headache for them. Just make it a quick and simple process. But we go through a due diligence process. We go through a title or escrow company, whatever that state requires. We'll make sure that what we're buying is what we thought we we're buying and no red flags or something like that. Uh, we'll loop in a local broker or agent in that area and help them have them, you know, guide us a little bit, like ask them, you know, what what they think they can resell it for and any potential things to 
to look out for in that property. And then we'll, as soon as we close, we close with cash generally. As soon as we close, then we will use them to list the property. Sometimes we'll do some minor value add type stuff to the property. These could be you know, clearing some brush. It could be getting a perk test done. It could be getting a survey done. It could be doing a minor subdivision where we'll just hire a surveyor to kind of split up a property and then we'll sell off the lots individually. So we'll do some minor value add stuff sometimes, and then we'll list it on the market slightly below retail value and uh, sell it quick, quickly. So on average, we're holding these properties only for about 60 days. That's kind of the general business model. And I think you had a follow-up question, but I can't remember what that was. No, no, that, that was great. Uh, I just really, you know, how you got into this business and then a little about land flipping itself, what that is, just so the listeners, if you case they're not familiar. I mean, you know, that was great. Uh, and there's a few things that I want to dive into because I feel like there's a number of aspects of that process that we can use in almost any real estate business, you know, for sure. And so, uh, you know, let's see, I, I was making some notes and you, uh, you know, sending out that uh, 50,000 letters, I was thinking about how, processing that on the, on the back end. I would imagine all of a sudden, you know, even if, if uh, that produced a thousand leads, I, and I don't know if it does or not, maybe you can provide, is there a percentage there that you're hoping for out of that 50,000? And then, you know, how do you manage just processing that many? Yeah. So we have a number of systems in place to kind of process the leads that come in. And I don't really track response rate because there, there are a lot of variables. So for instance, if I put a higher offer price, higher price breaker offer price or percentage on those offers, I would get a much better response rate. But I wouldn't necessarily want those people responding anyhow. So I track more of in the metric I look at is is cost per deal. And this averages out over time. So it costs me about $3,000 in direct mail costs in order to get a deal. And my average profit on a deal is about 22,000. So the numbers you know, definitely work for me. As far as the systems to process the leads that come in, we have a call service, a, a service that we pay for that basically answers the phone 24 hours a day. And then they'll ask some basic qualifying questions. And then send us an email, you know, with kind of the details on that gets entered into. I've got another team member that enters it into our CRM, which kind of starts uh, some some automated stuff like texting and saying, "Hey, we're going to be giving you a call from this number." We've got an acquisition manager then that reaches out, asks some more qualifying questions to try to get some additional information about the property. And then obviously, people will sometimes mail back a response. Sometimes they'll just mail back the signed offer, which is cool. And then, you know, sometimes they'll email or text back and, you know, want to negotiate or, or something along those lines. But so, yeah, we've got a CRM and, and a whole process in place to kind of deal with all that stuff. The other thing is, like, when they call during regular business hours, we attempt to have the, the call center live transfer to my acquisition manager that can hopefully, you know, get on the call with them right away, if possible. Uh, that's awesome. And I know listeners are thinking, well, you know, call center, you sounds like you're outsourcing that. Is that right? Yes. Is there a company you could tell us about for the call center and the, and the CRM? Yeah, the company I use is called Pat Live, P-A-T-L-I-V-E. They do a really good job. And uh, I, I like the fact that they're they're able to answer the phone at any hour. And it's just not feasible for me to have like someone on their team that can always answer. And, you know, and they could be on another call or something and not able to answer. So I, I like it so that all of these calls get answered. And then they charge by usage, you know, it just depends how many minutes you're kind of using each month. And they send you detailed logs of all this stuff. It kind of looks like your cell phone bill. I would hope you're not putting your cell phone number uh, on all those letters. 
Oh my God. Uh, you know, I think some land investors do that, but maybe they find out real quickly that it's not a good idea. And that's another part of this business. You know, sometimes you get people calling that are like super, super upset, you know, that you mailed them this low offer. So, you know, so I use that call service to kind of filter out those people that are not interested in selling and, you know, just calling to complain or something. Yeah. And then the CRM that you use, I know people wonder about that. Yeah. So it's a custom solution that we built on top of the high level platform. And high level is kind of a all-in-one system that allows a. It's very customizable, but at the base system, it's it's basically just just there. But you have to build on all of these things on top of it in order to do what you want it to do. So I don't just use that for the CRM. It's basically a whole business process system for us. So it manages all the different team members and all the different processes that, that we have within our business, and it's all tied into technology and and uh so it's a really cool solution for that yeah no that's helpful i just know i, I get questions around crms all the time uh, or people wanting me to ask you know the guests if they mention that and so you mentioned you know you're like you're figuring out the potential price per acre you know for this land in the county i guess let's back up from there uh and, and talk about markets a little bit you know you're in california what parts of the country are you buying in yeah most of the stuff we're buying right now is east coast so i know you're in virginia we buy a lot of properties in Virginia, you know, pretty much anywhere from New York down to Florida. And, um, you know, I'm not opposed to any other place in the country. I'll buy land anywhere, but it just seems like sometimes you get established in one area and that works really well. And then you try to get as much repeat stuff going in, in that area. You know, with us, a big part of our business is getting a local land specialist broker or agent to help us out, not only on the valuations, but also on the resale side of things. So, once we find a good partner to work with, we really try to establish as much business as we can in that area. So just kind of been, uh, you know, we send out test mail to a lot of different areas. And sometimes the mail works really well in a particular area. Sometimes it doesn't. And maybe I don't know all the reasoning for that. Maybe I press the offers wrong or who knows. But so we're always trying to kind of expand into new markets. And it just it's gradually increasing over time. No, that's interesting. Uh, and uh, what are some ways that you're you're going to pick that market? Uh, you know, what are some things you're going to think through? You know, or are you just going to keep covering the map as you work your way down the East Coast? Yeah. Well, uh, one thing, the big thing we look for is activity. You know, we need to make sure that there's kind of an active land market. So, and and to determine that, really, a lot of times we're just kind of looking on Zillow or Realtor.com, kind of just filtering for land. And, you know, for instance, we do a lot, most of our properties now are 10 acres plus. Sometimes some of the areas are five acres plus, but we'll just kind of put that filter in. And over the last, you know, say for instance, we'll get a particular county. And over the past 12 months, you know, how many properties sold within that acreage range? Was it 50 properties that sold? And then we'll look at the active listings. And if there's 200 active listings in that category, then we know that there's a real glut of inventory and not a lot of sales. That's like, theoretically, that's four years worth of inventory. But on the other side, if we see that there's 10 active listings and there was 50 sales over that, you know, the past 12 months, then we know that that's a pretty hot market. And if we get a property that's a nice property and we price it right, it's going to sell. So that's kind of the main thing that we look for, really, just kind of the market activity in a particular area. That's helpful. Uh, you know, speak to uh, determining the value you know, of per acre, you know, for that property, because that could change quite a bit, say per, even within the county, right? Depending on the location where it's at. Exactly. And it's kind of really hard. Well, it's an inexact science, I would say, in order to do that kind of on that big level that we do when we're building out these mailers and everything. 
So we're just kind of going for averages, but even in, in one particular area within a particular county, it could vary by the property itself. You know, like is the property all woodland? Is it a farm? Is it all wetlands? Is it landlocked? You know, like there's all these different variables that you don't even, it's not even just the location. It's a, it's a lot of other things. And you don't really know those things until you really look into a property when the league comes back. You know, I, I know other investors that spend a lot of time looking at each and every property and valuing it before they send out the mail, but it's just kind of not my thing. I'd rather spend a little bit more money, you know, to get each deal and not go through that, all that minutia on the front end, really. I think it's more about just taking the action. And I'm happy with that return, you know, spending 3000 per deal and get 22000 in return. So that those numbers make sense. You know, even if I was able to get that down to 500 per deal, you know, it'd still be 22000 per deal on the other side. And uh, it just doesn't make a lot of sense for me to, to get that refined on, on the front end. So I'd rather just send out the mail. And then, you know, we're wrong sometimes, you know, our offer amounts sometimes are too high, sometimes they're too low, sometimes they're just right. But then we have that conversation when they contact us. And if we were too high, we tell them why we were too high and we tell them what it would take to put the deal together. And either they go for it or they don't. And, you know, if we were too low, they're going to tell us about it and they're going to tell us what they need in order to make the deal make sense. And either it does or it doesn't for us. No, that's interesting. Uh, it's a lot of that's just getting the conversation started, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. If they're interested. Yeah, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And I think that the offer thing is there's other strategies too. You know, some, some investors go with what they call more of a neutral letter, which means, Hey, I want to buy your property, you know, give us a call. We pay cash and quick close and all this kind of stuff, but they're not giving, putting any sort of valuation on it. It gets more leads coming in that way, but then you get a lot of the, a lot of people calling back that are looking for retail. And so you have to kind of sift through more potential deals, I guess, in order to get to the good ones. You know, speak to the, you know, the worst and the, and maybe the, the, uh, the best deal, you know, that you've done through this process. Yeah. I've done some, done some really good deals. Uh, one of my favorites is one we just did. This is January when we're filming this a couple weeks ago. This is one of the first properties that we closed in, in January here in this year. We bought it in December, I think towards the middle of December even. It wasn't, we didn't hold it that long. So we bought it for 60,000, 30 acre property. And then we put it on the market. Uh, we thought, you know, 149 was a, a, a good price that we get some activity. So we put it on the market for 149. And instantly we got people, you know, offers coming in and we ended up getting it under contract for 175. And then it was kind of like a two week transaction, I think. And then it closed and then we ended up making 90 some thousand and didn't even have to do anything to the property. That wasn't in Virginia, was it? No, no, just south of you. That's awesome. So yeah, so deals like that come up sometimes. Kind of the worst deals, I haven't lost, uh, knock on wood, I haven't lost money on any of the deals that we've done yet. But I've gotten very close. There's one deal where I think I made a hundred bucks on it, you know, after everything was done. And I kind of, I kind of drew the line in the sand, like that we had an interested buyer and they were negotiating and negotiating. And I'm like, hey, this is my bottom line. And I figured it out, like, okay, this would just net me a hundred dollars because I don't want to lose money on any of these deals. But it was a property I had for a long time. I had just, I don't even remember what I had gotten wrong on it, but I kind of just probably overestimated what the, what the value of the resale value of it would be. 
So ended up holding it forever, kind of reducing it, reducing it, reducing it every time. And then essentially I just took an offer to just get rid of it. So that's the loser type deal so far for me. So I, I'm happy with that. As long as I'm not losing money, if the loser deals are, are not like costing me money, I'm, I'm fine with that. They cost time for sure, though. <laughs> uh, no doubt about it. Uh, speak to your like a scalability, like in a model like this. Sounds like maybe it's on the the front end as far as you know sending out you know fifty thousand. Well, maybe we can do a hundred thousand right uh, letters per month, or two hundred thousand, or or maybe we're doing that many more markets at a time, or we increase our you know our call service you know quantity or you know whatever you know how we're processing these leads. Or but then on the on the flip side of that. You know, is there a scalable part of this where you could do, you know, a lot bigger deals, uh, you know, and do this same thing? How, how do you look at that? Yeah, that's a good question because those are all kind of the levers that you can pull in order to scale things. And and that's kind of the things I'm working on for this year is doing the bigger deals. You know, the bigger deals I do, that will help us scale to the numbers that we want to get to. But also sending out more mail. That's kind of an easy lever that you can pull there. You're like uh, more letters, more potential deals. It's just a matter of sending the mail. You know, identifying those markets that are good markets that you can, you know, have some real potential. Also, kind of building the team as we go. You know, like getting partners in different areas that we can really rely on the local real estate agents and land brokers and things. Those are those are really a, kind of essential to us scaling. So the more good people that we can get established in other areas, it gives us confidence. You know, when we're when we're looking at a, a property that in an area that's kind of new to us, if if they can give us some confidence and say, "Hey, I really think this is a good property. I know this area. I really feel like you can resell it for this." It allows us to kind of you know pull the trigger and move forward on some of those deals. Like if we didn't have those people on the ground, we we'd have to be way more conservative sometimes. And then you know, kind of building out the team. You know, like getting another acquisition manager is probably the next step for us to kind of deal with the, those inbound things. Call center is kind of infinitely scalable the way it's set up now. So they'll just keep answering however many calls that we send them. Those are those are the big areas for scaling. You know, looking back, uh, you know, what would you have done differently in real estate or just in your real estate career? Well, I definitely would have loved to have gotten started way sooner in this niche than I have. I mean, it really is a... Um, uh, you know, a, a model that works well, I think, with my skill set. And uh, yeah, would would have loved to have gotten started in this niche way sooner than what I did. So that, that's kind of, you know, if I had to redo it again, that's what I would do. <laughs> do you have any predictions for the real estate market or, you know, uh, over the next 6, 12, 18 months? I do think that there's some softening going on. I know there's a lot of talk about impending crash and things like that. And I don't, I don't necessarily think a crash is coming. I do think that things will at least be stagnant or maybe softening further as we go here. And it just kind of depends. You know, the land market's a little bit different than the residential housing market, which is different than, you know, multifamily and, and all those areas. But, you know, the land isn't as tied to interest rates as much as, you know, single family or maybe even multifamily. But the thing about it is it, it hasn't run up as much as some other asset classes. So it's just not as volatile, I guess you could say. But as far as the overall market. I do think that there's going to be maybe some tough times ahead, but I don't foresee any type of crash happening like like happened in 2007 to 2009, you know, but I could be wrong. It's happened one time before. That's right. <laughs> At least once, maybe, but you can't remember it. I can't. Yeah. Uh, do you have any kind of threshold that you like to keep as far as, you know, when I think about like a potential downturn, let's say we're buying a bunch of land to flip and we have, you know, a number of properties that we haven't sold yet, right? Or 
you know, is there like, okay, we've got this many or, or we've, we've put this much capital out or, you know, what kind of threshold do you look at to say, okay, we're going to slow the, maybe the mail down until we sell some or something like that? Yeah, it's interesting. That would probably make sense, but I don't view it that way at all. Like I just, we're just constantly as many good deals as we can get under contract. We bought, you know, we move forward with them. If it comes to this point where I don't have the cash to take advantage of the deal or something like that, then I know I can always bring on a, a partner. You know, if it's a real deal, you know, there's partners out there that will gladly put up the money and then split the deal with me. That's the kind of the way I view it. I mean, thankfully, you know, the cash, it's a cash flow type business. These properties, you're buying them and you're selling them quickly. And, and it's all about the timing and, and things like that. It's just a matter of, I guess, keeping that that machine going. And if the cash flow gets to the point where I can't actually close on on those properties cash myself, then I'll just take on the partners. What's the biggest challenge you're facing right now in your business? Biggest thing that frustrates me really is how long it takes to close some of the purchases in some of the areas. So we always buy a property with title insurance. And so there's a title company and there's an attorney or escrow company involved. And uh, a lot of times they don't want to move as fast as I do. That's kind of the biggest challenge we face. So it seems like we're always prodding, you know, faster, faster, faster. And, you know, I want everything. I want, I want things done right. But, you know, on the other hand, you know, I think that there's a, there's ways that some of these things could be more efficient than they actually are. So I guess that's the biggest frustration. I think you're the only one that's having that problem. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking. Of course. Uh, No, completely understand. Yeah, frustrating. What are the most important metrics that you track? It could be personally or professionally. I track a lot of metrics in our business and I actually do that. Got a website, it's called turningprofit.com where I've, I I break each month I I break down the numbers of our business like the revenue we did, the, the um profit we did that gross profit we did that month, each and every deal, like what we bought it for, what we sold it for, kind of insight into each and every property, uh average hold times, all this kind of stuff, but Big kind of metrics I look at are, you know, average gross profit, you know, over, over time. Um, I also look at, you know, I track the revenue really closely. I track the days on market really, uh, or the the days in inventory very closely. I, I just want to make sure that that's not creeping up over time. So those are the big things. And then stuff like average cost per deal is also important to just kind of make sure that that's staying in line as well. Yeah. So those are, those are the big things to track. No, that's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, and then what about some habits that you have that have produced the, the highest return for you? Yeah. Well, the biggest thing in, in this business, and I think this is an area where a lot of investors fall short, is they, well, the biggest thing I do is I make sure that our, our mail is going out consistently at, at a level I set. And I just don't deviate from that. Like we right now, we're set at 50,000 letters per month. I send out 25,000 on the 1st, 25,000 on the 15th, you know, depending on where the weekends hit, but uh, that's one constant that's one thing that I can, can, can completely control. In a business where you've got a lot of things that you don't have direct control of, that's one thing I can control. And I know that if that those outreach efforts go out on a regular basis, I know that everything's going to take care of itself. It will. I mean, the deals will be there and we'll be buying properties and we'll be selling properties. So that's kind of the biggest engine. That's kind of the biggest thing where, where I see other investors, maybe they, they don't put as much focus on that. You know, like they'll do a lot of outreach or they'll get, you know, the phone ringing, whatever method they're using, and then they'll back off when they get busy. And then they'll say, oh, shoot, you know, 
I don't have any leads coming in. And then they'll try to ramp that up. It takes time to get going again. And it's just this continuous roller coaster. So easiest controllable thing. <laughs> so Yeah, I, I meant to ask you too, because I, I know people are wondering like the service you use for your direct mail. Because I know we've had a few people talk about them on the show. Yeah, yeah. I use Rocket Print. It's Rocket Print and Mail. So they do letters, they do postcards and everything. But yeah, we, we use them for the letters. I'm not licking all those stamps myself. Yeah, <laughs> that would be monumental. <laughs> What about, uh, you know, the number one thing you would say has contributed to your success? I think my consistency. You know, I'm not the smartest person in a room, but I can be very consistent. I think that's my superpower if I had one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can relate to that. Uh, and then uh, how do you like to give back? How do I like to give back? Well, for me, it's uh, it's all about my family. You know, everything I do is kind of, I've got three girls. They're older now, but I'm 22, 20, and 13. So, you know, everything I do is just to kind of make sure that they're taken care of and my wife is taken care of as well. And, and then, you know, we'll always try to, to help out others whenever we can and things that are truly impactful. Awesome. Well, Pete, uh, yeah, also one other thing, I, you know, and the listeners heard this, you know, the 31st uh, great grandson of King Henry II. That's interesting. How do you know that? Well, I just figured it out like, like a couple of years ago, my daughter was doing research on ancestry.com and you can follow all these clues back and uh yeah she just followed all the clues back and i've got you know he was um in my line there and then other other people that uh back then too crazy thing is i went to, he was um responsible for really building this dover castle in uk or england and i had visited that before and at the first time i visited i, I didn't even realize that that connection there so that's really neat. Yeah. And then I went back afterwards and they didn't even give me any sort of discount for going in the castle. Not that I asked. <laughs> They're probably, I guess, half of England is related to them too. But <laughs> well, That's awesome. Well, Pete, it's been a pleasure to, to meet you, have you on the show and really learn more about the land flipping model that you use. Uh, because I think there's a number of things to that process that, that we could use as well. You know, and grateful for that. Grateful for your time and just transparency through your model and systems that you use. How can the listeners get in touch with you and learn more about you? Yeah, best place is to go to turningprofit.com and it's got links to all of our social accounts, um, YouTube channel. And we just launched a podcast here at the beginning of January. So it's all about real estate investing and big focus on land flipping. And uh, on the site there, that's where you'll see all the monthly income reports that we do. I also have another thing on there where I broke down the first 50 deals that I did in, in the land flipping business, kind of break them down one by one, how much we made on each one, what we bought them for, what we sold them for, how many days we held them for, everything like that. So uh, if you're all interested in the land flipping uh, niche or model, uh, definitely I think it could be interesting to you. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today.